to Deuteronomy chapter 6, continuing in our series on relationships in the church. Today we're going to be looking at discipleship, but really we're going to be looking at how parenting and discipleship overlap, and we'll see that there's much here for those of us that have kids and those of us that don't. Two qualifications before I get started. One, there is not an original thought that I am about to give you, and that's a good thing. Much of what I owe is to Paul Tripp and Jeff Vanderstelt, the resources that are there in your bulletin, and the second is that I am not an expert, and I am not holding myself up as an example when I speak on this this morning. Let's look at God's Word, Deuteronomy chapter 6, beginning in verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. And when the Lord your God brings you into the land that he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give you with great and good cities that you did not build, and houses full of all good things that you did not fill, and cisterns that you did not dig, and vineyards and olive trees that you did not plant. And when you eat and are full, then take care lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. It is the Lord your God you shall fear. Him shall you serve, and by his name you shall swear. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord stands forever. Let's pray that he would teach us this morning. Heavenly Father, I believe in your Holy Spirit. I believe in your Holy Word. Father, I pray that you would use both, that your Spirit would be at work in us, that he would be poking and prodding all the areas of our hearts, that your Word, sharp as a double-edged sword, would pierce through all of our misconceptions, all of our excuses, and cut to our hearts, that you would teach us what you would have us know this morning. Do what we ask, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So what are children for? Maybe you've asked the question a little bit differently, Maybe after a long car ride or when your child gets up at 4.30 in the morning and won't say anything except, no, dada, just an example off the top of my head. Maybe you've asked it, what are children even for at that point? My dad used to joke around, someone's, he'd say, oh, I know what children are for. They're for a handful of things, tax deductions, free labor, and someone who thinks you're funny for at least 10 years or so. We have an answer to this question, even if we're not 
willing to say it out loud. Sometimes, more seriously, we think, well, children are to be raised up to be good citizens. We want them to be productive members of society. We want them to, to grow and do the things that we think are best for them. All those answers, the jokes and the serious ones, are wrong. What are children? Why do children exist? You could ask it a little differently. I'm going to be giving away the answer here. What is the chief end of children? Children exist to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Children exist for the same reason we do, to be worshipers of God, to be in relationship with Him. That's what children are for. And when we recognize this as parents or as non-parents, it's going to shift the way that we view our responsibilities towards others, whether it's our kids, our friends, our family. See, we are called to be ambassadors to sinners representing Jesus who has given us new life. And this is true of anyone, but it is especially true for parents to their kids. Parents, you are called to be an ambassador to your sinful children representing Jesus who has given you new life. So we're going to look today at a few misconceptions we often have about parenting. And, and as we correct those, we're going to see the principles that God has for His people as we seek to parent, as we seek to make disciples. And some of these, these misconceptions might say, I don't think that. But as we'll see, they often bear themselves out in the way that we actually live, though we may not admit to them out loud. And the first misconception is this. When it comes to children, we are not owners, but ambassadors. We are not owners of our children. And this can seem kind of like a funny thing to say, hey, your children don't belong to you. Right? When you put it that way, it's like, wait a second. But maybe you're saying, I don't say that. I would never say that I own my children. But we imply it when we ask questions like, why won't they just listen to me? Why won't they just do what I say they should do? Why won't they just make the choices that I think are best for them? Why are they so wild? A temptation for us is to control children, to, to, to shape them in our likeness, what we think is best for them, the way we think they should behave. And when that happens, our, our methods become pragmatic. I will do whatever it takes to get my children to just be quiet for an hour and a half on Sunday morning. This implies that, that what is most important for our kids is that they listen to me, that my reign, that my law is what is established. I, I, God's kingdom come, forget about that. I want my kingdom to be instituted in my household. We, we don't say this out loud. But when we treat our children as if they 
just will not obey us. They will not just do what we want them to do. This reveals itself in our hearts. It's based on a false premise. I know what's best for my kids. Maybe we even take it a step further and say, I know what's best for all kids. Or even a step beyond that, I know what's best for all people. And when we get this wrong, it leads to all kinds of problems. And it, and it, and it elevate, elevates our solutions above all others. And so parents, I know you have heard this, and maybe if you're being honest, probably thought this to yourself. Well, they should really parent their kids this way. And we judge other parents for the way they're doing it, not because they're not doing it the way God wants them to do, but because they're not doing it the way we would do And this is not just for parents. We do this all the time. I'm driving down the road, someone makes a bad mistake, and I'm like, I have a wonderful plan for your life, and it is not what you just did. We want to be in control. We want to think we know what's best, and we know what needs to be enforced. But God's Word makes this very clear, that we are not the owners of our children or of anyone. The earth is the Lord, the psalmist says, and the fullness thereof. And just in case you're not clear, he goes on to say, the world and those who dwell therein don't belong to you. They belong to God. It's kind of like if you've ever been in a group, whether it's a team or a band or something like that, and whoever's in charge gets one of your peers to say, hey, you run this little practice or meeting or whatever it is, and that peer goes on a power trip. And it's like, hey, man, we're all in the same level. You just, you think you got all this control. Said, no, we're all aiming for the same thing. Now listen to the language in this passage from Deuteronomy. It says, the Lord our God. And then he goes on and says, love the Lord your God. There's a, a mutual. He is ours and we are his. And then him shall you serve and by his name shall you swear. This is not the language of person in control of another person. This is the language of God who owns all of the earth and the fullness thereof and all those who dwell in it saying, you should love me. Even as he begins, he says the words that I command you, not that Moses commands you, the words that the Lord commands you today shall be on your heart. Moses didn't put them there. God is promising to put his words into the heart of his people. And then he goes on to say, you shall teach them diligently. children." They were not the primary actors. We are not the, the owners, the controllers of our children. We are not the owners or controllers of others. We are ambassadors coming from God and speaking His words to others, pointing others to Him, not to us, not to our methods, not to our preferences, but to Him. We are worshipers of God seeking to make and form and build up fellow worshipers of God. And in this sense, parenting is discipleship. 
Parenting is discipleship. It is not radically different from the way that we should treat all other people. There is a difference. I, I take care of my children in a different way. I provide for them in a different way. But when it comes to the core of my purpose towards them, it is the same as anyone else. I am a worshiper of God seeking to point them to my Lord. There is, to a certain extent, a unique and profound opportunity for parents to be a special disciples of their children. We have a unique opportunity to shape our children, to point them to Jesus. But that also means that we have a unique opportunity to sin against them. That's where our second misconception comes in, is that our kids' primary problem is not misbehavior. It's sin. Our kids' primary problem is not that they won't behave. How many times have you said that? If you've been dealing with the kids, I wish they would just listen to me. I wish they would just obey. See, that, that, that premise comes from a shaping of what we think is good. I think this is what you need. I love you, and I have a wonderful plan for your life. But oftentimes, it's our standard that gets elevated, not God's. When my kids won't eat, what I get them to eat, it's not because the Lord has commanded them to eat peas. Because I have. And I'm angry that they're not listening to me. Our kids' problem is not disobedience. Our kids' primary problem is the same as our primary problem. There is sin in their hearts. They are what Paul Tripp calls self-appointed sovereigns. I am in charge. Who says me? I am in charge. I want to control everything around me. So you might say, that's not my biggest problem. My biggest problem is my, my job situation or how I can't seem to scrape enough m- money to get together or this, this person that I'm in conflict with or my, my illness. And those are all problems to be sure. But that is not your primary problem. That is not what you need most. What you need most is to deal with the sin in your own heart. And when we recognize that, that our kids are dealing with the same problem that we are, it will hopefully lead us to be much more patient with them. My child is suffering from the same ailment that I am. How many times have I done something I knew I should not do? And yet when my child does something that I have told them again and again and again to not do, I'm like, how dare you? Our kids' problem is the same problem as ours. We, too, want to be self-appointed sovereigns. We, too, have sin in our hearts that says, I know what's best, and I'm going to do what I want to do because I think it's best, and no one can tell me differently. Whether we're a child, whether we're grown, whether we have children, whether we don't, that is our problem. So, of course, children misbehave. Of course. They misbehave. They're sinners. Of course, you struggle. Of course, you don't do what you should. You have sin in your heart. But the good news, as Paul says, this saying is trustworthy and worthy of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save. 
Jesus himself said the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. And so if our children are sinners, if we are lost, that is good news because that's who Jesus came for. This reframes our frustrations and help us focus on, on what is important. Not to control, not to make sure that they do everything exactly right, but to guide and to point and to minister to them. We see this in this passage. It's, it's very important that, that as, as the primary the truth that Moses brings from God, says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. That's, that's that covenant language. The Lord there is, is Yahweh. He's saying Yahweh is our God. And Yahweh is one. This is, this is the, the basis on which the entire Old Testament is based. And immediately from there, what does he go on to say? Love the Lord with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your might. In the New Testament, Jesus immediately joins to that. Love your neighbor as yourself. I don't know about you, but I hear those words, and I'm like, if that's the standard, I've missed the mark. If that's the standard, I have fallen woefully short, and my kids have too. And so we're in the same boat. And if this is true, that our kids' primary problem is not misbehavior, it's sin, then we're, we're in a lot of trouble. Because if it was just misbehavior, we could figure it out. There's got to be a book that we could read, a method we could, we could institute, you know, enough practice, we could figure this thing out, we could solve it. But if that's true, then Jesus did not need to die. Because we would have figured it out eventually. If that's true, we don't need him. But parenting, as many of you have probably realized, is an impossible task. There is no way... Anyone who is themselves a sinner can hope to shape and form and adequately point another sinner to Jesus. It's impossible. We can't do it on our own. And this is not a problem just for parents. If you seek to evangelize, if you seek to make disciples, you're facing the problem. You are a sinner. You have sin in your heart that corrupts. And you are trying to shape and form someone else who has sin in their heart that corrupts to follow Christ and to worship Him. We cannot hope to do this. We cannot figure it out. We cannot push the right buttons, flip the right switch, institute the right practices to do that. So what can we do? What is the hope? How is there going to be any change? If this is what we're called to do to be ambassadors, but we can't possibly do it, then what should we do? That's the third misconception, is that it's not about us. It's about Jesus. It's not that our kids need us. Our kids need Jesus. We don't need to just figure out more of us to insert into the equation. It's we need to point more and more to Jesus. Notice how God reminds the Israelites. The Lord who brought you out of the house. of This was not the Israelites who brought themselves out of Egypt. It's not that God gave them a law. He said, hey, there's a 600 plus rules here. Once you guys get that figured out, then we'll get out of this place. No. 
He brought them out of Egypt, and that is now when he is giving them the ways that they should live. He is the one who rescued. He is the one who, who undertakes what they need. Now, this doesn't just end with discipleship. It continues on into sanctification, and into past salvation. As the prophet Isaiah says, your children shall be taught by the Lord, and great shall be the peace of your children. If I am the primary one teaching my children, their peace is not going to be great. But if the Lord is the one who is teaching my children, then great shall be their peace. As the Apostle Peter puts it in the book of Acts, he's preaching to all these people who have come to Jerusalem. He says, this promise is for you, your children, and for all who are far off. Talking about us. Everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. When the Lord our God calls to himself. What promise is he talking about? He's talking about the promise that began all the way back. As soon as sin entered the world, that there would be an offspring who would crush the head of the serpent. He's talking about the promise that, that Abraham was given that you shall be a great nation. You, don't, you have not even really seen the land that you're going to. He never got to see more than his son Isaac, but he saw this promise of what was coming. It's the same promise that that the Israelites and Moses are given here, that I am taking you to a land that is overflowing. It's the same promise that, that David got when he was a shepherd boy, the least of his brothers, that he would be anointed and that there would be an even greater king to sit on his throne. It's the promise that we see fulfilled in Jesus. These men, these people of God, were all looking ahead to the one who would save. Christ, who saw our desperate need. Christ, who humbled himself. Christ, who died a brutal death on our behalf. Christ, who was raised to newness of life that we might live with. Christ, who says in Matthew 28, Go, therefore, excuse me, begins by saying, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always the end age. I've heard it said that that is the primary parenting text in the Bible. Not something from one of Paul's letters where it tells parents how to treat their children, but there, go and make disciples, and that Jesus is with us even to the end of the age. And if it is true that our kids don't need us, they need Jesus, it means that our kids don't need, first and foremost, to behave. It means that our our kids don't need to be successful. Our kids don't need to be happy. Our kids don't need to look like us, vote like us, act like us, share our interests. They need Jesus. And if they don't share anything that we share, if they don't listen to anything that we say, but they love Christ, that is success. 
and that can hurt. I, I don't want. I love that my children look like me. Elizabeth doesn't like it as much, but I love that my children look like me and act like me. And so that can hurt. If my kids love Jesus enough, we can redefine success in different ways. And when we do that, we're actually erecting an idol and saying, "Child, this is the standard you make." Whether it's grades whether it's going to the right college, getting the right job, finding the right person, playing the right sport, staying out of trouble, believing the right doctrines, we erect this and say, this is what it is about. And if that's not Jesus, I. It is God who brings good to our kids, just like it is God who brings good to us. It is God who brings good to everyone we meet. We don't need to convert them to come to Calvary Reformed Presbyterian Church, though I would love for them to come to Calvary Reformed Presbyterian Church. But we are not the standard. God is. It is God who brings us good. Even in these verses, he goes on and on about, there's this good thing you're going to get that you did not provide. There's this good thing you're going to get that you did not provide. Over and over and over, it reminds them that I am the one that you need. I am the one who provides. And so the goal is to point our kids to that truth over and over and over again. And, and if we're, we're going to seek to do that, then we need to know the gospel to which we are pointing them. And I don't mean know intellectually. Most of us could recite John 3.16. I'm talking about knowing in the biblical sense, experiencing. As you're sitting here, are you acutely, precisely, profoundly aware you sinner who desperately needs a savior do you know specifically what sins are in your heart can you place yourself can you place your family this church your your entire existence in the the grand arc of the story that god is writing of his people being drawn to him and if you think that you can, can anyone else tell that you believe that? Is the way that you live demonstrating that you profoundly, desperately know that you need a Savior? You know that that Savior loves you deeply. I've been trying to do some of this more and more with my kids, have gospel conversations with them. And there was one time in the car where Ransom and Elsie had been messing with each other. Someone had been misbehaving in some way. So I'm trying to walk them through, like, you know, that was wrong, but I can help you. I, need, I, I, can, I can be there to help you, just like God is there to help us, because mom and dad need help, right? And so I asked him, do mom and dad need help? And Elsie was like, four years old, she was like, uh, No. And Ransom, who has had two more years to experience our incompetence, emphatically said, yes! Our kids know that we are sinners. Our kids know that we need a Savior. But if we are willing to point our kids to that Savior, and even, even if our sin deeply, profoundly affects them, even if we hurt them in immense ways, but we have consistently pointed not to ourselves, but to Jesus, then they will know that they can run to him even when we are the ones who have caused that pain. 
the beauty of this kind of gospel-saturated parenting is that it does not depend on how good you are. It does not depend on how, how much you have figured it out. It depends on God's work in you. And that's the last misconception I want to address this morning, that, that it is not about a law or laws or rules, but it is about life. When we understand that we are sinners who are called to worship God and are pointing other sinners to called to worship God to Him, then it doesn't become about rules or becomes practice. It becomes about a person. It really comes about three people. The Lord, our God, and what He is doing. Us and what the Lord, our God, is doing in our lives. And whoever it is that we're trying to disciple and what the Lord, our God, is doing in their lives. It's not about our work. It's about His. This is why it has in these verses this command to teach diligently to our children, but then it gives some examples. Talk of them when you sit in your house. Talk of them when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. Bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes, and you shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. What these verses recognize is that whether we realize it or not, we are forming those around us in some way. Parents especially, you are forming your children in something. This is not something that you can avoid. I just say hands off. That is a formational thing. So maybe you're like me, and unconsciously you're forming your children to realize like when you get angry, you're allowed to just pop off a little bit. That's okay. That does it. Or, you know what? This, uh, this whole technology thing, this, is, this might be the coolest thing ever. It's worth a lot of your attention. That's something that I'm forming my kids in. I'm not happy about it. The call here is to form them in something greater. Not pursuing money. Not pursuing comfort. Not pursuing the right job or the right person, but pursuing Christ. Proverbs 22.6, you could probably recite it for me. Train up a child in the way he shall go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. That's not a prescription so much as it is a warning. You will train up a child in the way they should go, and it is going to set them on a course for the rest of their life. Now, God is faithful, and he can alter that course, but when we interact with anyone, especially our children, we are forming them. And what this means is, is that when we're trying to speak the gospel, trying to point our kids or others to Christ, it's not a one-time thing. This is why, as every parent has said, if I've told you once, I've told you a hundred times. Because no one gets it once. No one gets it in a single event. It's about the the, the, ongoing, the ongoing practice, but it's not even about doing these things or figuring out this message. It's about what are you being? Who are you being? What are you becoming? What is Christ doing on you? Is He shaping you more and more into His image? Are you being conformed more and more to His 
likeness. This can be kind of annoying because God works a lot slower than we want him to. He works a lot slower than we realize. We, we read some of these Old Testament passages where God comes and judges people. And it's like, God, that was, that was really hard judgment. And what you forget to do when you, when you don't examine it in the scope is that was 400 years after he first gave them a warning that he came and judged. But then on the flip side, we're like, God, why are you not acting right now, giving me what I think I need or what I think my kids need? But God is a patient God. God takes the long view. And we need to share that. As promised, Jesus says that he came that you may have life and have it abundantly. He's not just talking about the life to come. He is, but he's not just talking about that. Because he says, I am the good shepherd, and the good shepherd lays down his life And so we can read Psalm 23 and see the Good Shepherd picture and know that that God is caring for us now. He is creating us to be like Him. And we need to remind ourselves of that, and we need to remind our children of that. The kids are just like us. They are sinners. They need a Savior, but they also need to be reminded and reoriented and repointed to our Savior. How many times have you had to learn something a couple times or practice something a couple times before you got it? I just went to the optometrist last week and they asked the question, you know, how's your eyesight? Have you had problems? I'm like, no, it's been fine. And then they do the thing, A or B or one or two, over and over and over again. And he's like, your, your astigmatism's gotten pretty bad. And I'm like, I didn't know. <laughs> this is my eyesight. I use it every day and I had no idea. I had to have someone else tell me what was going on. And so as parents or as disciple makers, we have to remind ourselves and each other and our children over and over and over again, you're not perfect. It's good news. There's one who is and you can look to him. Paul says in his letter to 2 Timothy that he's reminded of your, that is Timothy's sincere faith, a faith that first dwelt in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now, I am sure, dwells in you. That's the image there. That this faith, not in Lois's and Eunice's own abilities, but in Jesus, was passed down through living together with them so that it now dwells in Timothy. And the good news is that this guards against our own hypocrisy. Everyone hates hypocrisy. But kids especially hate hypocrisy because they don't understand nuance. And often, often we use nuance to cover our own hypocrisy. (laughs) And kids are like, but that doesn't make any sense. And we're like, well, it makes a certain kind of sense from a certain perspective. And they're like, no, it doesn't. And they're right. (laughs) We're often willing to say, I'm not perfect, but I can't think of a specific way in which I'm imperfect. That's the kind of false sense of self, but if we recognize we are sinners who needs a Savior, and we are repeatedly saying, son, daughter, friend, neighbor, I don't do this well, but I know one who loves me regardless. He will love you regardless too. This is not just for parents, as I said over and over again. All people should be pointing all people to Jesus, not to ourselves, but to Christ 
This is what evangelism is. This is what discipleship is. Maybe you didn't grow up in a Christian family, or your Christian family didn't have a really profound understanding of the gospel, and later on in life someone came alongside you and pointed you to Jesus over and over again, and now you may even refer to them as your spiritual mother or father. That's the picture that is for all people, not just for parents. Over and over again, Scripture is filled with examples of someone who is not the parent pointing the child to God, whether it was Samuel with Eli, Timothy with Paul. Maybe you're here and you don't have kids. Want them. Or did want them. And never got that blessing. There's still a call here to join in others discipling their kids working in the various ministries of the church or just coming alongside another couple. But that, we can say that and it's sort of like it's a consolation prize. This should be enough. Not. I can't speak adequately into your pain if that's who you are. I can't comfort you enough that you did not get this good thing that God says is a good thing. But I do know that that God is a good Father who gives good things to His children, who is, is the one who is faithful, who says that if, if you suffer loss but are faithful to me, then I will return a hundredfold. And so I don't know what God has for you, but I know that it is Maybe your kids have walked away from the faith. That doesn't prevent you from doing that. To live, to speak the gospel into their lives. To point continually to Jesus and to trust God in prayer, as hopefully all parents are doing. Maybe you are feeling this acutely. You have kids at home right now. Your biggest opportunity for ministry is right now. Too often we can take these moments of misbehavior and just turn them into moments for my righteous, quote, righteous anger. Instead of looking at them as moments of ministry, to have conversations, to ask probing questions, to get at their heart and to, to remind them of who God is. The parenting is discipleship, pointing our children pointing all people to the loving embrace of our wonderful Savior. Because the ultimate call for all of us, no matter where we are, is to be ambassadors, sinners, representing Jesus, who has given us new life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, You are just that, our Father in heaven good and perfect and majestic one who loves us better than anyone has, loves us better than our own parents could ever hope to do. So we look to you. Help us to do this kind of gospel reminding ourselves, our spouses, our children. Pointing not to ourselves, 
your Son, a perfect Lamb given up for our sins, raised for our lives. Remind us of our union with Him. Help us to point all others to His good, glorious grace. Pray this in His name. Amen. As we prepare to come to the Lord's Supper, I invite you to stand and sing.